Amen, amen. You guys can take it. See, give it up for the band. Appreciate you guys. They're putting in extra work, coming out on a Sunday afternoon. Patrick was complaining earlier that he had to wake up from his Sunday afternoon nap. Uh, a little earlier than normal. Um, he's a married man now, so he's, he gets to be a little more lazy because Melanie just cleans up after him. He doesn't have to clean up after himself anymore. So that's how marriage works. No, just kidding. Right, dear? My wife's in back, too. Um, I'm probably sleeping on the couch tonight. It's okay. Um, quick score update. The 49ers are still winning. So you Cowboys fans. Not really, though. Um, and, no, anyway, so welcome. Glad you guys are here. I know we have a few new faces. I got a chance to meet most of you. Uh, but my name is Daryl. I'm the uh, minister of high school here at Cross Life Church. Uh, so excited you're hanging out with us tonight on a Sunday night. You could be so many other places, and you chose to be here, and that is special, and that is exciting for us. So I'm glad you're hanging out with us. Um, I'm going to make you a promise tonight that I will do my best to not be boring. I will do my best to uh, make it quick um, and get you guys um, on to the next thing uh, that you're doing. But we're in the middle of this series. We started this series last week called Anchored. And Anchored is all about doctrine. I know what you guys are thinking, like some of you guys that have been churched for a while, like you hear the word doctrine and you're like snooze fest and you just want to go to sleep because it, it, it can be intimidating to talk about doctrine, but we're really trying our hardest in this series to talk about doctrine in a way that is applicable to our lives, not just for like knowledge purpose, but for application purpose. So last week we talked about the doctrine of revelation, if you were here, um, and the doctrine of revelation is all basically, like it, we were to break it down as, in its simplest form, is God communicating to his people. Uh, God speaking to his people, um, and our main way of God speaking to us, which we talked about last week, is right here through this book, the Bible. Um, his words were recorded, the messages that he gave to his prophets uh, years and years and years and years and years and years ago were recorded and written down, and we could trust, we learned this last week, we could trust this book. We could trust that this is the word of God. We could trust that it's complete. We could trust that it has everything we need to know about living for Jesus. Everything we need to know about God is listed in here. It has been complete. It is sufficient. All right. Now, are there things about God that we don't understand? Absolutely. But do we need to know those if they're not recorded in here? Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Um, there's so many things that we'll figure out about God when we get to heaven, and that will be like, ah, makes more sense now. All right. So today, though, we're going to continue this series, and we're going to get into the doctrine of God. Now, the doctrine of God is, is it can be a whole series in and of itself. Uh, Nick and I were talking about this this week in, in, the, in the offices while we were preparing and getting ready. And literally, I have this book, I have like three textbooks on doctrine and systematic theology and all that. And like, that's what we're pulling a lot of this content out of. But like, one of them is this big and like half of it is all about the doctrine of God. And the different elements of God, the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus, God, like all those different elements. We're not going to like begin to even scratch the surface of all that because it's so much, so much to dig into. Today we're going to look at just God as a whole. God as like the, the, in the being of God and his characteristics. Because I feel like as Christians, guys, uh, we need to have an understanding of who God is. So like the key question that we're going to try to answer today is what is God like? Right? What are his attributes? What are his qualities? What are his character traits? What are we learning about God through God's word? What do we see God doing in this world? And what does it mean to us? 
Because we can learn all this stuff, we can learn all the wisdom, like we can learn all these things, but if we don't apply it to our lives, if we don't let it make a difference in the way that we live and the way that we, we operate, it's not going to change a thing. And it doesn't really matter. We'd be wasting our time. So in today's message, as we get into this, as we talk about it a little bit, I want to encourage you to open up your eyes, open up your heart, open up your ears to what God has for you as he reveals himself to you. This is not me, like, staying up here and teaching you things about God. This is God speaking directly to you because I pulled everything from here. God's written word that we could trust, that is sufficient, that is open. Like Everything that we're going to talk about is backed up in Scripture, and you need to understand that this isn't Daryl's idea about who God is. This is actually what Scripture says about God and who God is. Does that make sense? All right, so before we do that, let me ask you this question. How many of you guys have ever had a conversation with somebody that maybe wasn't a Christian that, like, and you ask the question, or they ask the question, well, who is God? Anybody ever have that question? You ever get any, like, weird answers, like, in the conversation? Anybody want to share any of, like, the weird ones? Um, I get really weirded out when people call God like different names in prayer, um, and Jazzy is guilty of this. I'm going to call her out on this. We were on a missions trip this summer, and I asked her to pray at like one of the meals or something like that, and, and she referred to God as Sky Daddy, and I about threw up. Um, I was like, what in the world is that? But anyway, like here's the thing. As we get into, I like, guess you're talking to people in your life. People are going to have different ideas about who God is, all right? There's going to be some people that see God as this, like, big mystical Thanos-like being sitting up on a throne, like, thunder and lightning people and, like, striking people dead because they go against his will. There's people that view God that way, all right? Then there's other people that view God as more of, like, the Buddha style, like, who is just this little plump little fat guy sitting there meditating and, like, wanting all good for all people, right? Like, there's different viewpoints of who God is and different definitions of who God is. But you need to understand, the only definition of who God is that matters to us as Christians is the one true definition that is found in here. So today, as we unpack this, as we talk about this, you might not agree with everything I say. Maybe you ought to push back a little. That's fine. Let's have some conversations about that because I want you to understand what I'm telling you is nothing earth-shattering. These are all things that could be found in Scripture. These are all things that could be backed up there. So tonight, for tonight's purposes, as we talk about what is God like, as we try to answer that question, open up your eyes. Open up your ears to that. Um, and here's tonight, you see in your note sheet there, we have six attributes of God. There are way more. <laughs> we could literally talk for hours and hours and hours on end about different attributes of God, but we narrowed it down to six for tonight's purposes, and these are six like encompassing attributes, I feel like, that really give kind of that 30,000 foot view of who God is, and three of them have to do uh, with his being. They relate to his being, like who he is, and then the other three that we're going to talk about relate to his glory and his majesty, like, and like his ability and his strength and his power, all right? So three about who he is and like as far as like his being, hey guys, appreciate it, thanks, versus who, um, his what his power is what, is, what his majesty is all about, all right? Those are our, our, our six attributes, those are the three things, uh, the six things we're going to talk about, so let's get right into it. Number one is this, his holiness. I'm not talking about the Pope. I'm not talking about like like the, the like these super high like ranking religious officials. No, like we're talking about the holiness of God. And the word holy is thrown around a lot in church. 
So like if you're in church, like you might own a Bible that says the Holy Bible on it. Or maybe you, you have like maybe you have a, a mom or a grandma that, that like says holy cannoli all the time. Because my mom says that all the time and like holy cow. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Like stop it. All right. But but like the idea of holiness is really an important thing for us to grasp when we're talking about God. Because the idea of holy means to be like set apart, to be different. To be perfect in almost every single way, right? You're living by a different standard. Moral perfection. All throughout Scripture, God is referred to as holy. All right? You can look all throughout Scripture and see him listed as the holy God, a holy almighty God. Like all these different terms and names that are thrown out. The holy one is of Israel, Isaiah 41. Glorious in holiness in Exodus 15. Matthew 1 verse 24 says the holy one of God when he's talking about Jesus. Like, and the list goes on and on and on. We could really unpack that and talk about that some more. But you need to understand the holiness of God manifests itself in righteousness. Right. So the holiness, his righteousness, like his moral perfection that's in his life, all right, manifests, in, like, which means like it plays out through his righteousness and the way that he lives and like he, his, his, his perfection in the way that he goes through his life. He's set apart. He lives by a different standard. God is different than any of us. None of us can ever reach that level of holiness on our own power, right? Like there, it's impossible. Like the, every single one of you Cowboys fans, it, it, like you're never going to reach that because you're going to be angry the rest of the night because the Niners are kicking your tail, all right? So you need to understand that all these things uh, that happen, like, like it's impossible for us to attain this holiness without God's help. God is holy. He, his holiness is something that is so powerful. It's God's holiness that allowed him to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. If he wasn't holy, if he wasn't righteous, if he wasn't morally perfect, his sacrifice would have meant nothing. It's his holiness that sets him apart as different than anything else in creation. Number one, his holiness. Number two, God's love. The second attribute we're going to talk about is God's love. Now, this is like where you can get into like the weeds a lot when you talk about love and, and like you get all these different types of love that you could talk about, different definitions of love and all this. But here's the thing you need to understand is that the loving nature of God plays hand in hand with his holiness. I read this quote, and I, I was talking with Nick, and I, I hesitate to read it, but I think it's important because it gives a really good visual of how holiness and love play hand in hand when talking about the attributes of God, all right? It says this, Dale Moody said it this way, as holiness is the starting point, so love is the high point in the biblical unfolding of the nature of God. You with me so far? One is the outer court, and the other is the inner sanctuary in the theological temple of God. As properties of holiness are the branches in the menorah of monotheism, which is simply a religion that focuses on one God, so the properties of love are the beams that give light and warmth to what could be a barren theology of being. How many of you guys were lost? All right, let me break it down. You guys ever seen a menorah, a Hanukkah menorah? You know what I'm talking about? Like the eight candles, right? Is it nine candles? Because there's one in the middle, right? Yeah, there's nine plus four on each side. Anyway, that is like, when they're talking about the menorah, his holiness is the structure of the candle stand, right? It's rigid. It doesn't really do anything. Without light, it's just kind of cold, right? Untouched. It's like this, just this thing. 
But when you put candles in it and you light the candles, it brings warmth, a reminder of, of good things that came and happened. This is how God's holiness and love plays a part. So like God's holiness and his righteousness really makes him seem distant because we can't attain it, right? We can't reach that level of holiness. We can't get there. It makes him almost seem like untouchable. But his love brings him closer. His love is the warmth that, that makes him approachable. His love is what makes him a God that we can come to with our sorrows, that we can come to with our problems, because he hears, he cares, he loves. So we need to understand, guys, that, listen, that God's love is so strong and foundational that we define all love by looking at God. Have you guys ever read 1 John chapter 4? How many of you guys have ever been to a wedding? You've probably heard this passage read at a wedding before. Um, and it, it feel, I feel like every wedding I've ever performed, this passage is requested to be read. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the, lo in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of, of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love the one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected. In us, And it goes on and on and on and talking about God's love and how it should be manifest through our, us as believers. Guys, listen, this is how we define love, that God is love. That character trait is so important that we understand the love of God. So we have his holiness. We have his love. Number three, the second attribute of God is his eternal ways. His eternal ways. God has no beginning. God has no end. Both God's love and holiness imply his eternity in this, that to claim that a perfect God of the universe had a point in time where he didn't exist limits him, and we don't put limits on God. And to say that there was a time where God wasn't love and God wasn't holy implies an imperfect God. You see, God has to be eternal. He has to have this idea and this thing that he is here before and he is never changing. His immutability is never changing. His unchanging ways. And all throughout scripture we see examples of that. We see God pointing towards, um, towards or scripture pointing towards a God that is, is unchanging, that is forever. In Psalm Chapter number 90, verse 2, it says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Job 36, 26 says this, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to also revive the heart of the contrite. He inhabits eternity. You can't get away from God. There's not a time where God will cease to exist. Psalm 102, 26 says this, They will perish, but you will remain. 
They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. God is eternal. He's here for eternity. That should be comforting. That should should bring you a, a certain level of comfort, knowing that we serve a God who always has been and always will be and is not going anywhere. Trait number four. This is where we start to get into some fun stuff. All right, so we've talked about his being. Now we're gonna talk about his majesty a little bit and his power. First is this, or number four, sorry, is his omniscience. If you don't know how to spell that, it's omniscience. (laughs) Might help you a little bit. Omniscience. And what that means is very simply is that he is comprehensive in knowledge. Another way of saying that would be that God is all-knowing. He knows everything that was, everything that is, everything that's going to be. There is nothing that takes God by surprise. There is nothing that surprises him in any given way, shape, or form. He knows all. That thought you just had in your mind, he knows it. He knew it before you even knew it. Get what I'm saying? He is all-knowing. You can't understand. You can't even begin to comprehend who, who he is and what he knows. Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33 says this, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will be, not be revealed or hidden that was not known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and the body in hell. Catch this part, verse number 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than the sparrows. The author here, and Jesus, is not speaking in hyperbole. He is not, like, using exaggeration just to, like, make a point. He literally knows the number of hairs on your head. He literally knows when a sparrow falls out of the sky and dies. He knows it all. He understands what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with because he is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Should be comforting. Also a little scary. He knows everything, the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, the positive thoughts and the not-so-positive thoughts. Nothing surprises him because he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. Number five, not only is he all-knowing and omniscient, he's omnipresent, which is basically omnipresence would be his, the description that you would say, which basically means that God is everywhere. Now, listen, I need you to understand this. This doesn't mean like God's hiding behind every corner and like peeking around like a creeper. No, it means that his presence is literally everywhere. You cannot escape his presence because everything that he has created is surrounding us. Like, it doesn't mean like that, that like God is, like there's a copy of God in every room you go into. It just means that he, he sees all, he's with us. He never leaves us. He is everywhere, he's omnipresent. He is not bound by space and time. He's not bound by science. People often try to, like, contain God into this, like, um, this, like, scientific definition. And, like, that works against physics. Well, guess what? He created physics. He can go against it. He's not bound by our earthly definitions of things because he works in a whole different realm. 
He, he's on a whole nother level of, of being that our feeble attempts at definitions can't even begin to comprehend. He's everywhere. You can't be explained by terms of material structures or laws of physics. Psalm 139, 7 through 9 says this, or 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Guys, listen, I need you to hear something that very, very clearly. This idea that God is everywhere and omnipresent should be like one of the most comforting things you'll ever hear. Because no matter what junk you're going through, God's there. No matter what struggles you're in the midst of, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything we see into existence, is there. He's there. He's caring for you. He's loving you can't get away from it. You can't escape it. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. And then the last one, the sixth one is this. The sixth character trait is his omnipotence or omnipotence. I always say it wrong. Omnipotence, omnipotence. It's easier to say omnipotence because if you're going to spell it, but omnipotence is how it's actually said. And all that means, guys, is not that he's all-knowing. It's not that he's everywhere. He's all-powerful. God is so almighty. God is so powerful. He's so strong. He's, he's greater than anything that could ever come against you. He's greater than anything that could ever come against you um, in this world, in anything outside of this world. God is bigger than it all. He's stronger than it all. He's more powerful than it all. And guys, he is there to take care of you. God's power to do everything that is in his rationale and his moral perfection, um, God wills to do. God's power is on display throughout, all throughout Scripture as well. You can read story after story in Scripture that points towards the power of God. You can read story after story that points towards God uh, uh, just flexing on people. Because he's greater and stronger than anything you could possibly imagine. We see it in Job 42, 2, it says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is Job who has been through the ringer, lost everything in his life. And he looks at God and says, I know that you are capable. I know that there's nothing that you can't do. I know that there is nothing that can thwart your plan. There's nothing that could throw it off course. Because you're more powerful than anything. Psalm 106, 2 says this, Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? God is so powerful, his deeds are so great, we can't even begin to like verbally name them all. Because that's how powerful he is. That's how strong he is, how, big, how great he is. You guys need to understand that, guys, God is great, so, so powerful. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is as Jesus is giving his final words to his disciples. He's comforting them as he knows they're getting ready to go through the ringer because every single one of them is going to be killed for their faith. And, 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 he's, and he's telling them, hey, listen, I need you to understand that all, all power and authority has been given to me. 
which means the power of God was living inside of him. And guys, listen, and he's comforting his disciples saying, I'm giving you that same power. That same power will be on your side. So anything that will come against you will fail. Because ultimately God is more powerful than anything that will come against us. So it's one thing to know all these things. But how do we apply it? Because it's great to know that, you know, God is, is uh, holy, his love, that he's eternal, that he's all-knowing, and he's everywhere, and he's almighty. But what do we do with it? What do we need to do with it? Like, how should we respond with these things? And I want to give you four quick things. Uh, this isn't a, a long, like, addition. This is, I just want to give you four things that you can apply right now. The first thing is this. In your worship, when you understand these six attributes, when you understand these six qualities of God, these six characteristics, you need to worship in awe of God and his power. When we stand here and we sing together, you're not just singing songs with Patrick. It's not like sing a long time with Patrick. Like, we're worshiping an all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-present God. It should change the way you worship. It should change the way that you sing. It should change the way that you go to church. It should change the way that you sit and listen. It should change the way that you study your Bible. It should change the way that you do worship. Because you realize and you're in awe of the one that you're worshiping. Because you understand who he is. And you understand his character. You understand his power. Second thing that needs to change is the way that we evangelize. Now, this is a very christian ease word. This is a very churchy word, the idea of evangelism. But here's the thing. Evangelism is simply telling people about Jesus. If you truly believe these six characteristics are true, and if you truly believe that these, these are characteristics of the God that you worship, the God that you serve, guys, listen, I need you to understand that if that is true, if you believe it with your whole heart, what is stopping you from telling people about it? Because if you believe it with your whole heart, and you're withholding it from other people, and the power of God, and the love of God, and the forgiveness that it offers, if you're withholding all of that from people, how selfish can you be? It should change the way that you share the gospel. It should change the way that you talk to people about who Jesus is. Engage with people. Talk to them about your faith. Let them know who it is you love. Let them know the power of the God that you serve. The third thing is this, is in prayer. It should change the way that you pray. You need to bring your requests to God, right? You need to bring your requests to God while remembering his power and his character. First off, remember that he's holy. Treat him such with such. Treat him in such a way that is respectful and honoring to him and who he is. But also remember that he loves you and he wants what's best for you and he cares about you. And he wants to see you thrive. He wants to see you succeed. Don't be afraid to bring your request to him. Don't be afraid to, to bring your request to him and remember his power. Remember that he's able. He is able to forgive. He's able to heal. He's able to restore. I've seen relationships restored simply through prayer. I've seen sicknesses healed simply through prayer. And God intervening. We need to remember who it is that we're praying to. Remember his power. 
And then the fourth thing as we close is this. Your Christian witness, your public life. When you understand these six character traits of God, when you understand who God is and, and, and what he's like and the way that he operates and the way that he has set the standard, he set himself apart, and we're to live like that, we're to try to pursue that level of holiness and righteousness, when, it, when you understand this, these character traits, it should change the way that you live. It should change the way that you interact with people. It should change the way that you, you interact with your friends. It should change the way that you interact with your family. It should change the way that you interact with your teachers, your coaches, your teammates, whoever. It should inter, interact, or it should, uh, excuse me, impact every single relationship you have with people. Every interaction should be sprinkled with the gospel. They should see God in you. They should see God in you in the way that you speak, the way that you talk, the way that you act. I was one time asked a very convicting question. And it was something along the lines of, if an unbeliever, if you were the only Christian an unbeliever knew, would they know Jesus through their interactions with you? Like, would, would your life reflect Jesus to the world? Would people see Jesus in you? Would you reflect his righteousness? Would you reflect his holiness? Would you reflect his love? Would you tell people about his power and his ability to save, his ability to, to restore. It's my hope and prayer that every single one of us in here would be able to live a life that impacts the world around us. Each and every one of you interacts with people on a daily basis, at some level or another, whether it be at school, at work, among your family, your friends. Every single one of us. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? As the band comes back up and to lead us out in some, in some music, I want to just issue us a challenge. Every eye closed, every head bowed, nobody's talking, nobody's messing around. I want you to Examine your heart. Does your life in this moment reflect these attributes of God? Do people see God and his attributes through your interactions? Do people see God in you in the way that you live, the way that you interact. My challenge to each and every one of us that if the answer is no, that we would try our best the next week to reflect these characteristics. To know who God is, 
and to point people towards the creator of the universe. If you're sitting there in in your chair and you're like, man, I do that. Like, I'm great. Keep it up. But you can always do better. I'm going to pray and the band's going to lead us in a song of response. But here's what I want from you guys as we sing this final song. Let's worship the God. Let's worship the God who is all-knowing, who's all-powerful, who's everywhere, who's loving, who's eternal. Let's give him what he's due. Let's give him what he's worth, our songs of praise, our lives. Let's commit to him right now in this moment that we're gonna do everything we can to point people towards him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the way that it speaks to us, the way that it challenges us, the way that it pushes us to live better. Lord, I thank you for the characteristics that we learned about from you. Lord, about who you are and how you operate, Lord, and your power and your majesty and your being, Lord. I pray that each and every one of us in this room, Lord, would remember these traits, Lord, that these traits would impact the way that we we pray, it would impact the way that we worship, the way that we evangelize, and the way that we live our lives. God, guide us, direct us, lead us. Help us right now in this song of response, Lord, just to give it all to you in honor of you and all of who you are. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. It's in Jesus' most glorious and precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together, guys.